This Dharma Talk is brought to you by the Chicago Zen Meditation Community. Learn about us and our teacher, Miyoshi Thompson, at zenchicago.org. So I'm going to be talking about impermanence tonight. We have had a few talks on this topic already, um, but I think it's a hard one for us human beings to get our minds around. Uh, and it's a topic of particular relevance to me right now since I turned 65 two days ago. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> My sources for this talk are a couple of books that I first discovered in college when my interest in Buddhism began. One is a book by Ram Dass. Uh, um, some of you may be familiar with his work. That came out in 1971 called Be Here Now. And um, the second book I'll be using is a collection of Zen writings called Zen Flesh, Zen Bones, collected by Paul Reps, which has some lovely things in here, and we'll be able to sample them. I will also be referring quite a bit to the writings of Thich Nhat Hanh, who has been very helpful to me. I'm going to start with a poem. When I have seen by time's fell hand defaced the rich proud cost of outworn buried age, when sometime lofty towers I see down raised, and brass eternal slave to mortal rage. When I have seen the hungry ocean gain advantage on the kingdom of the shore, and the firm soil win of the watery main, increasing store with loss, and loss with store. When I have seen such interchange of state, or state itself confounded to decay, Ruin hath taught me thus to ruminate, that time will come and take my love away. This is a Shakespeare sonnet, number 64. So as you can see there, Shakespeare particularly points out the downside of impermanence, um, talking about time's fell hand fell is an old-fashioned word meaning of terrible evil or ferocity, deadly. Time, in his rendering, is associated with decay and loss, and the final two lines are especially vivid. Ruin hath taught me thus to ruminate, that time will come and take my love away. Rob Das in Be Here Now also has a very direct way of talking about time uh, in a discussion of the first noble truth. He says, life always has in it the element of unfulfillment, call it suffering, birth, old age, sickness, not getting what you want, getting what you don't want. <laughs> Even getting what you want in this physical world is going to be suffering because it's always in time. That's the trap of time. As long as you want anything in time, it's going to pass because time passes. If you attach yourself, if you crave temporal things, beauty, possessions, achievement, anything, how poignant. An ice cream cone goes by. Will it ever be the big ice cream cone in the sky? Will it ever be an eternal ice cream cone? 
or is it always going to melt? You've got to keep eating it, but it melts and melts, and then it's gone. I especially like Ram Dass's uh, sort of folksy, colloquial, very, you know, <laughs> Western, old hippie way of, of speaking here. And the Buddha himself laid it out uh, very clearly in what are called the Five Remembrances. One, I am of the nature to grow old. There is no way to escape growing old. Two, I am of the nature to have ill health. There is no way to escape having ill health. Three, I am of the nature to die. There is no way to escape death. Four, all that is dear to me and everyone I love are of the nature to change. There is no way to escape being separated from them. Five, my actions are my only true belongings. I cannot escape the consequences of my actions. My actions are the ground on which I stand. All the truths about aging and death that were fairly abstract to me at age 30 are much more real at 65. When you get your Medicare card, you really know you're an aging baby boomer. <laughs> my parents both died when they were 71, not that much older than I am now. I lost my only sibling, my beloved brother Bob, in a car accident in 2000, so I am now the only survivor of my family of origin. Miyoshi and I are on our third dog of our married life, Callie, and she has arthritis, and he has cancer. Ramdas again. Lame, halt, blind, dying. We're all dying. At this moment, your body is disintegrating before your very eyes. It's all a downhill trip all the way. Boy, what a funny place to get attached to something that's got to go like that. Thich Nhat Hanh tells us it's not impermanence that causes suffering, but the wish for permanence when that is not the reality. And he tells us that actually, without impermanence, life couldn't be. Nick touched on this when he spoke to us about more positive aspects of impermanence that we can open our minds to. Impermanence makes growth and change possible. A seed grows into a fruiting tree. My nephew is no longer the little boy I knew, but a man who now has two children of his own. I'm very fond of reading fantasy, science fiction, and horror novels, but when I read about beings who have eternal life, like the elves in The Lord of the Rings or vampires, it always seems to me that that would be kind of creepy <laughs> and boring. <laughs> A patient of mine was struggling with the pain of losing her terminally ill mother at 92 and raised a very basic question with me. Why do people have to die? I had talked with her in many ways about the anguish of her mother's imminent death, but to this question I found myself saying, well, the world would get very crowded if they didn't. <laughs> Not sure how satisfactory an answer that was for her, but... <laughs> Impermanence does mean that bad things come to an end. You get over the flu. You heal after surgery. Maybe not as quickly as we'd like, but the pain in your knee during Zazen stops when you get up. 
the Trump administration will not be eternal. <laughs> a friend of mine married a widower who felt ready to marry again a few years after the loss of his first wife. When asked about his experience of bereavement, he said, the only thing that really helps is time. Someone else, when asked about dealing with the loss of a loved one, stated, you don't get over it, you just get used to it. Impermanence means that we lose our loved ones, but it also means that time will help us to find it bearable. Although I miss the unwrinkled skin and perfect health I had when I was 20, in that era there were separate classified ads in newspapers for men's jobs and women's jobs, and the women's were largely secretarial. People smoked cigarettes everywhere, on planes, trains, in classrooms and restaurants, and non-smokers like me had no option other than to breathe in all that secondhand smoke. Discrimination against people of color, women, and LGBTQ people was more systematized and overt than it is at present. The idea of gay marriage or electing a black president was not in most people's consciousness as feasible. The Vietnam War was killing over 58,000 Americans and forcing draft-age men to go to war or to face the consequences of resisting. We obviously still have many related and newer problems like climate change. Racism, sexism, and homophobia are still with us, but we have evolved on some issues because wars, attitudes, and societal structures are impermanent. Buddhist teachers have written about the way in which impermanence imparts a rich and alive quality to our experience as we pay full attention in the present moment. I especially like Thich Nhat Hanh's writings on this point. He notes that impermanence helps us to cherish a loved one now, knowing that he or she will not be with us forever, and to appreciate the beauty of the flower that will soon be in the compost pile. Ram Dass called his book, Be Here Now, and said that the opposite of craving for permanence is saying, okay, here and now, this is it. I accept the here and now fully, as it is right at this moment. I also have a couple of classic Zen stories to share with you. This one's called A Parable. Buddha told a parable in a sutra. A man traveling across a field encountered a tiger. He fled the tiger after him. Coming to a precipice, he caught hold of the root of a wild vine and swung himself down over the edge. The tiger sniffed at him from above. Trembling, the man looked down to where, far below, another tiger was waiting to eat him. Only the vine sustained him. Two mice, one white and one black, little by little started to gnaw away the vine. <laughs> the man saw a luscious strawberry near him. Grasping the vine with one hand, he plucked the strawberry with the other. How sweet it tasted. And here's another called Inch Time Foot Gem. 
A lord asked Takuan, a Zen teacher, to suggest how he might pass the time. He felt his days very long attending his office and sitting stiffly to receive the homage of others. Takuan wrote eight Chinese characters and gave them to the man. Not twice this day. Inch, time, foot, gem. This day will not come again. Each minute is worth a priceless gem. There's a Joni Mitchell song that goes, don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? <laughs> if we really pay attention, it's possible for us to appreciate what we've got while it's here. Let's see if we can go more deeply into Buddhist teachings in a way that can help us accept the truth of impermanence. The three Dharma seals, essential teachings of the Buddha, are impermanence, non-self, and nirvana. Thich Nhat Hanh talks about how the notion of emptiness, shunyata, is derived from the notion of non-self. He quotes a passage from the Samyutta Nikaya that reads, Lord, why is the world called empty? It is because in the world a separate self and things possessing a separate self do not exist. Thich Nhat Hanh quotes Nagarjuna who said, it is due to emptiness that all phenomena exist. Thich Nhat Hanh stresses that emptiness doesn't mean non-existence. Rather, to be empty is to be without a permanent identity, and hence existence, growth, and all of life are possible. The existence of everything is possible because of the existence of everything else. Impermanence and non-self are the same. What if it became possible to get beyond all of our typical concepts and dichotomies about birth and death? The third Dharma seal, Nirvana, is the silencing of all our concepts. Thich Nhat Hanh quotes the Avatamsaka Sutra, all things have no provenance and no one can create them. There is nowhere whence they are born they cannot be discriminated. All things are birthless and have no extinction either. Those who understand in this way will see and touch the Buddha. In the Heart Sutra, we chant that Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva, when practicing deeply the Prajna Paramita, perceived that all five skandhas are empty and was saved from all suffering and distress. Thich Nhat Hanh talks about absolute and relative truth. In the five remembrances that emphasize that we are of the nature to grow old and die, the Buddha was teaching using relative truth. In the Heart Sutra, we affirm the absolute truth of no birth and no death. Thich Nhat Hanh gives the example of waves on the ocean. A wave may be compared with another wave in regard to height, where it breaks, etc. But if we look more deeply, we know that a wave is made of water. While living the life of a particular wave, it also lives the life of water. A wave can be recognized by signs, 
high or low, beginning or ending. But in the world of water, there are no signs. Thich Nhat Hanh says that when the wave touches her true nature, which is water, all anxiety about her status or lifespan will cease, and she will transcend birth and death. Liberation is the ability to go from the world of signs to the world of true nature. We need the relative world of the wave, but we also need to touch the water, the ground of our being, to have real peace and joy. He goes on to say that whether or not birth and death are suffering depends on our insight. If we can live life with deep awareness of the interconnectedness of all things, we will not be caught in our small self. We practice in order to remove our notions that relative truth is all there is. And as we do so, we are able to touch the ultimate dimension, the world of no birth and no death. Thich Nhat Hanh says, the wave is already water. Shortly before death, the Buddha spoke in this way, all conditioned things are impermanent. They are phenomena, subject to birth and death. When birth and death no longer are, the complete silencing is joy. Thich Nhat Hanh quotes this Sanskrit phrase, one of the basic teachings of the Buddha, Drishta Dharma Sukha Vihari, which means the Dharma deals with the present moment and is not a matter of time. If you practice the Dharma, if you live with and according to the Dharma, happiness and peace are with you right away. Drishta Dharma Nirvana means Nirvana in this very life, silencing the suffering imposed by limited ideas about birth and death and self and non-self. And I have a beautiful Zen story illustrating this. This is called A Letter to a Dying Man. Basui wrote the following letter to one of his disciples who was about to die. The essence of your mind is not born, so it will never die. It is not an existence, which is perishable. It is not an emptiness, which is a mere void. It has neither color nor form. It enjoys no pleasures and suffers no pains. I know you are very ill. Like a good Zen student, you are facing that illness squarely. You may not know exactly who is suffering, but question yourself. What is the essence of this mind? Think only of this. You will need no more. Covet nothing. Your end, which is endless, is as a snowflake dissolving in the pure air. There's a very interesting book by a couple of psychologists, Zimbardo and Boyd, about our relationship to time. They've identified several perspectives on time that seem to characterize Western people. Some individuals are mostly oriented toward the past in either a positive or negative way. I see some of the negatively oriented ones in my psychotherapy practice, people who are preoccupied with painful memories of past traumas, regrets. Some people are more focused on the future, which can be highly adaptive in our culture of goal setting and achievement, but future-oriented people 
can also be overly concerned with the future in such a way that they don't live in the present. Sound familiar? Some individuals are more oriented toward the present, but not in a really helpful way. The authors discuss people who are focused on, so focused on what's happening right now, including harmful actions and addictions, because something feels good right in the moment, but without regard for future consequences. These authors mention the time perspective cultivated in Zen as a healthy ideal, and they call it the holistic present. Training oneself to live life in the present, but in a way that includes past and future in an expanded state of consciousness in which the various time perspectives are not separate. Thich Nhat Hanh says, the future is the past and the present is the future. The three times look to each other and awaken the world in infinite ways. One particle of time contains the totality of time. To begin this practice, look into the nature of impermanence. Then continue and look into the nature of non-self and interbeing. Just by doing that, everything will be revealed to you in its entirety. The one and the many, and the many and the one. I've been reading two books lately. One is Bob Woodward's Fear about the Trump administration, and the title says it all. The other book I've been reading is Michael Pollan's How to Change Your Mind about psychedelic drugs. The book about Trump <coughs> focuses on all the palace intrigue and horror surrounding a president whose time perspective in Zimbardo and Boyd's scheme might be said to be present hedonistic with an emphasis on what feeds his ego right now. The Pollen book gives lots of reports of people describing expanded states of consciousness and bliss and the dissolution of their typical concepts about self and the world. For instance, terminal cancer patients reported little or no fear of death following a psychedelic experience. It's quite odd and interesting to be immersed in both of these books at the same time. <laughs> The Woodward book about Trump shows us the Saha world. And in psychedelic experiences, people sometimes touch what Thich Nhat Hanh calls the Avatamsaka realm. But if we really believe the teachings about emptiness and impermanence, these two worlds are not separate. I can dimly perceive some of these truths at times, but only dimly. And much of the time, I'm anxious about the future worrying about the health of loved ones, and overall struggling with being a human being who is subject to illness, old age, and death. I believe that the best answer to this human suffering is to follow the Buddha way, and I feel lucky to have a Sangha in whose company I can do this. I want to share one more Zen story with you. It's one I often remind myself of when I break or lose something I'm attached to. Ikkyu, the Zen master, was very clever, even as a boy. His teacher had a precious teacup, a rare antique. Ikkyu happened to break this cup and was greatly perplexed. Hearing the footsteps of his teacher, he held the pieces of the cup behind him. When the master appeared, Ikkyu asked, why do people have to die? 
This is natural, explained the older man. Everything has to die and has just so long to live. Ikyu, producing the shattered cup, added, it was time for your cup to die. <laughs> and now it's time for me to stop talking, and I would really welcome uh, any of your thoughts. Um, yes? Thank you for the talk. It was, it was really beautiful and moving. Um, and it, it like just it, it, I don't know, like every single moment I'm like dealing with this battle of impermanence and like wishing to like accepting it, but then like ah, just delay it, please. Uh, like my mom's yeah. cancer battle. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah, it, it, it's, it feels good to be supported by the song and by your talk. So thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, I also wanted to thank you. That was just um, really, really wonderful to listen to and extremely helpful. I, and I think the thing that that really sort of that I that I got from it that I really hadn't I think gotten before was like the connection between the sort of in some sense two levels at which um, one has to what sort of the two levels of what one comes to see more clearly when one accepts impermanence so like on the one hand at the at the level of our day-to-day -day life the sort of the relative truth of all of us going about and, and just doing what we do people die and we mm -hmm. we really like to um, not think about that and to sort of escape into this fantasy world in which, you know, even if I'm kind of sick right now, I'll, I'll get over it and there'll be, I mean, I'm a very future-oriented person, so I'm like, there'll be some time in the future when I've got everything sorted and I'll be on top of everything and my house will be perfectly, and then, like, then my life will begin. Um, it will begin, yeah. <laughs> like, right. And clearly that's, 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 I mean, on, it's a fantasy and that it, it's not going to happen, but even if it was going to happen, it would still be a fantasy now, because right now, <laughs> that is not what I'm facing. And mm -hmm. so, um, on the one hand, like, I have, to, I have to acknowledge what's really in front of me, otherwise I am just living in a fantasy. And that, I think, like that, I'd already, that already made sense to me, but I think your talk really helped me to connect that to this other way in which when you accept what's really in front of you, the reality of change and impermanence and so on, that that will put you in touch with this like deeper absolute truth in which those things don't um, sort of stop being true. It's not like suddenly I'm like, no. oh, everything's fine now. And in fact, we're, we're all just going to live forever in this mystical way. Mm. Like that's not mm -hmm. quite right, but somehow one's sees them through a different perspective and sees that something else is also true at the same time that, mm -hmm. that, that makes you see them differently. And I think I'd never really seen those two things as as even in contact with one another. And I think you sort of showed me how they're like the, mm. the same the same thing. Good. So thank you, that was really wonderful. Oh, thank you. I thought your summary was very nicely put. <laughs> I'm struck by, um, uh, you're talking about you coming to accept kind of things as they are, uh, and I was thinking, 
what, just in doing that, what a great relief of suffering mm -hmm. uh, occurs at that point. Because, you know, a lot of suffering comes from, oh, I don't want this to be this yeah. way. Yeah. And if, if at some point we can drop that, you know, and say, okay, I'm willing to be with this as it is. Uh, it's a lot freer. Yeah. It's a lot freer. And so that's accepting impermanence and a lot of other things about what's what's right in front of us. Yeah. Yes. Um, I'd love for you to talk as well. Um, and the cup story, I had actually heard something else, I don't remember from whom, I think it was a, like a contemporary story uh -huh. of... Um, <coughs> I don't even remember exactly how it goes, but somebody <coughs> saying, um, talking a, a monk maybe saying that this was my favorite cup, you know, every time I look at this cup, it brings me so much joy. And somebody said, well, yes. you know that this cup is impermanent. Why are you so attached? And they said something like, it, to me, the cup is already broken. Mm -hmm. It's already destroyed. Yes. Mm -hmm. So knowing that it's already a broken cup, I can be like... I can really cherish it until uh, it's definitely totally broken. <laughs> um, which is maybe kind of that yeah, link between like. Where is she telling us? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh -huh. yeah. 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 Who it's was that? Ajahn Chah. Okay. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For me, the cup is already broken. Right. It's really. Right, yeah. I remember this very vividly because you told the story and the, the sort of like the, the punchline, if you like, of the story was that moment of the cup is already broken. And then I remember you like looked up and said, and here I think you were just speaking in your own voice and not continuing the story. You said something like, oh, what's a miracle to like to get drink tea from a broken cup. Anush. I, uh, is it, you know, the um, Kanye's idea of like birth and death like recently re reading like the Upanishads, which are, um, you know, and they talk about uh, the Dharma, like from that version being the path that ends birth and death, right? And I don't really understand what that means, but like, <coughs> and you know, and some of like a lot of the Hindu teachers and modern day like mystics, they all talk about this path kind of being like the end of birth and death, right? It's like a lot of pressure. Like, you know, something like that, right? And I, and it's like one of the reasons it's like, for me, like, this, like, tradition makes so much more sense, because it is like, you just know that this is going to end at some point, right? And then there's just like this great mystery that exists. And I'm finding, like, the more... I'm saying the more I'm embracing impermanence, the good and the bad, mm -hmm. there slowly starts to just, at least for me, there's like this kind of just implicit trust in just the flow of like time and the flow of impermanence. It's just, like you said, like I, I wouldn't be here. It's almost like, like you can't have time without impermanence. Like, kind of mm -hmm. like, Time is maybe the measurement of impermanence. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So, you know, so I was just thinking about like, I don't know. It's just, there's like a warmth and like comfortableness that I'm starting to feel in all of this. Where like, I'm a lot younger than you guys, but like there isn't like 
this big like the, this big fear anymore. Mm. It's like it's still there. It's like a more curiosity. Like it's turning in more and more into like that would be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. As opposed yeah. to you know, and he's talking to my dad. You know, where he's yeah. not. You know, he's like I'm gonna hang on as long as you know, like in in a somewhat unhealthy way. Um, and so I think like kind of walking this path as you guys have for like, 30, 35 mm-hmm. years it's almost like toward the end of our lives right? There's like, it's almost like you're just like a love love preparedness <laughs> to kind of really be present uh, mm-hmm. for this as well mm-hmm. I know, this is One thing that what you're saying makes me think about is how um, really if we're going to embrace impermanence, it really does mean dropping off our likes and our dislikes. You know, because we're bound to, oh, I love this cup or whatever it is. And yet, if we're really going to embrace impermanence, there's a kind of a um, equality between this cup and something that I don't like. Right? It's like, okay, well, it's all part of this flow. That if we're really going to embrace the flowness of it, we kind of have to drop away our, our attachment to our likes and dislikes and all that. Yes, Claire. Um, the bit where you were talking about the the, the Buddha talking about um, about impermanence and how we're all gonna get sick and die and so on. And then, oh yes, and the then, five remembrances. Right, that's yeah. the one. And then the very last one was like about. That was about action, right? That's and right. That was about actions. Both, That's like all we have. Kind of That's the ground on which we the stand. The ground that we can stand mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that has like that kind of has a different feel to the rest of them, right? It does doesn't like it? Here, mm-hmm. all, this is this thing that we, in some sense, have in a way that we don't have the other things, and that seems to um, mark out like. Um, a difference between two, two ways of sort of going with the flow, right? Like on the one hand, I'm to I'm to accept or to respect that it's my likes and dislikes that are singling out this cup, um, and that ultimately, like, there's a there's an equality between the cup that I really love and the one that I think is ugly or whatever. But that can't be true when it comes to our actions, right? There's this difference that it matters whether I do this or that, at least when it comes to certain parts of life. So, so, like, the accepting how things are has to be compatible with, like, there are courses of right action and there are things that I should do and sometimes the things that I should do are, like, try and change things, like the political circumstances that we're in and so on. Um, and that, I don't know, I can sometimes find it hard to figure out where the boundary mm-hmm. is between those two things, if you see what I mean. like. Um, to sort of hold on to, and, and I think the fact that the thing that we are to send on our is our actions is sort of is helpful because that allows me to be like, okay, that's the thing where 
it's up to me and I, I get to decide mm-hmm. whether I go this way or that way and sometimes it matters which way I go um, and I don't just get to say hey I'll just the flow, the flow yeah. is going to happen to me right. and it's taking me that way to not bother to vote today or whatever yeah, sure. um, yeah. Buddha devised a whole path for us to follow right? That, right that he laid out okay illness, death change, loss, etc. These are all inevitable, but he could have just stopped at four, yeah. you know? Um, but, yeah, like but, that was some harsh truth. Right? But, he, yeah, uh, so, like, just, you know, yeah. deal with it, everybody. But he, <laughs> I, 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 I sort of think of the fifth one as kind of leading into um, the Noble Eightfold Path. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Here are things that you can do yeah. um, and that practice matters Um, and your actions do actually matter because everything is interdependent and so you are affecting the whole universe through your actions. It's just me as usual making sure my Buddhism is compatible with my Marxism. (laughs) (laughs) There's that great passage from uh, one of the Pali Sutras where this guy um, has lived a very profligate life. He dies and he goes before Lord Yama, the god of death. And uh, Lord Yama says to him, uh, you lived a terrible life, you're going to have a terrible next life. Didn't you see the messengers that I was sending you to try to get you to behave better? He said, no, I didn't see you. <laughs> well, didn't you ever see anybody who was sick? And think, you know, like the five remembrances, there's no way I can escape that fate. And so, he's, uh, Lord Yama suggests, didn't you say to yourself, so let me do noble deeds of body, speech, and mind now while I have the opportunity. So this is what, you know, I think you're saying out there, and that is the fact that, you know, there's this great flow out there doesn't doesn't give us a pass on um, trying to lead a moral life or trying to lead a life that is helpful to others. You know, this is our vow to, mm-hmm. to, to I almost think that you actually can't walk on the path without doing that. Right. Like if you're, yeah. if you're like running around slapping old ladies, that's not. How could that be? Doing it really mindfully. Or even more seriously, like you know, kind of really supporting. I in my own opinion here, but like you know, being in favor of like you know. Separating families and yeah. you know, being like that's quite an orchestra in there when you hear children crying, you know, mm-hmm. saying like these horrible like that's to me it's actually like not just bad for the kids, it's bad for that individual who like isn't responding to the suffering and is mm-hmm. getting hardened in the face of it too. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, I think like kindness and generosity and right action, I think these are markers of uh, or can be markers of spiritual development. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think it's, I just think it's, I personally think it's not really possible unless those are cultivated. Because I think if they're not, you are rejecting the cries of the world. Right. And that's causing, um, I think within your psyche, a lot of instability. And like, you can't settle when you're constantly rejecting. Like, not listening to like the cries of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
uh, you have to really put your shields up, and that takes a lot of energy. So. Yeah, and that's not really the way that we can be fully present in our lives, is to put the blinders on, mm -hmm. you know, so strong. Mary, thank you very much. Thank you all. Lovely talk.